Perhaps the most revolutionary book ever written was written by the Apostle Paul under Holy Spirit inspiration, and it's called the book of Romans, within the book of books, the Bible. We find this as Paul is closing down his great epistle to the Romans. Notice what he has to say in the last verse, verse 27. He says, To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. To God only wise. What is God like? He's wise. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, if you have a Bible today, turn to Romans chapter 16, if you would. Romans chapter 16. The most revolutionary book ever written was not written by Charles Darwin. The most revolutionary book ever written was not written by Karl Marx. The most revolutionary book ever written was not written by Mao Zedong. Perhaps the most revolutionary book ever written was written by the Apostle Paul under Holy Spirit inspiration, and it's called the Book of Romans, within the book of books, the Bible. For 16 chapters, Paul has been writing about so many things, so many rich and powerful things. And he gets to chapter 16 and the end of the chapter, and he, he closes it down with a marvelous truth. We've been in a series on what is God like. We've covered a number of attributes referring to God. But we're going to talk today about his wisdom. What is God like? He is wise. And here's how Paul sums it all up in Romans chapter 16. We pick it up in verse number 24. He says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, to God only wise be glory through Christ Jesus forever. Amen. What is God like? Well, he's wise. What does that mean to us? Well, let's find out, but let's ask the Lord to help us listen today. Father, we come before Thee. We thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for preserving it for us. We thank You for the uh, exhortation of it and for an admonition from it that pertains to Your wisdom today. Father, we ask You now to help us listen carefully and glean a truth that will help us to trust You more. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think all of us here are familiar with Henry Ford. He didn't actually invent the car, but he invented the, uh, I guess, assembly line that made so many cars. As he was uh, getting his plant together there, he hired a very intelligent man to design the generator system for it, a fellow by the name of Charlie Steinmetz. And it worked beautifully for years and years until one day there was a breakdown. The generators just stopped. Of course, the assembly line came to a halt and everything came to a halt. And Henry Ford called his maintenance guys in. They tried to fix it. They couldn't. 
He called for uh, men around town to come and fix it. They couldn't. And finally, he said, we need to get Charlie here. So they get Charlie Steinmetz in. He looks it over. He puts some stuff in there, works on it for about an hour, flips the switch. It starts whirling, and the plant is back in operation. Well, Henry Ford received a bill from Charlie Steinmetz for $1,000, which was a huge amount of money back in those days. Of course, Henry Ford was pretty tight-fisted himself. And so he got a hold of Charlie and he said, what's the deal here with this $1,000 bill? You're only here for an hour. And he said, yeah, that's true. He said, $10 of it is for the parts and the labor. He said, $990 of it is for knowing where to go to fix it and having the wisdom to fix it. You know, wisdom is worth something. And there is a quest for wisdom throughout our world today. If you go on Amazon.com, you will find 4,392 books on wisdom. How to get wisdom. And it can be uh, wisdom from the Zen masters, or Celtic wisdom, or Jewish wisdom, or ancient Egyptian wisdom. Uh, it can be wisdom from the Chinese, and wisdom from the uh, Dalai Lama, and, and wisdom from Mahatma Gandhi and wisdom from uh, Winston Churchill, and on and on and on. All these books about wisdom, because people are seeking wisdom. They know something's missing. They know they're missing wisdom. Now, this is the information age. Think of all the books that have ever been written. The wise man Solomon said there's no end to the books, and there are millions of them. There are thousands of magazines in circulation right now. There's new science coming out all the time. It's revolutionary. You know that 150 years ago, just 150 years ago, it took about three to four weeks to cross the ocean. Today, three, four hours. You know that you can get more information in, in a Sunday edition of the New York Times than the average person in the Middle Ages learned in an entire lifetime. Do you know that back in 100 AD, there was a Roman engineer by the name of Frontinus. These names kill me. Frontinus. He said, quote, inventions have reached their limit. Yeah, right. In 100 A.D., in 1949, John Van, John Van Neumann, who is a uh, brilliant scientist, actually worked on the uh, Manhattan Project. Here's what he said. He said, we've reached the limit of what's possible with computer technology. In 1949, really? In 1954, Secretary of State John Dulles said this, the Japanese will never manufacture anything that Americans will buy. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and then in 1995, uh, Bob Metcalf, who uh, was the editor of uh, Information World, said this. He said, I predict that the, uh, the Internet will reach a supernova and will actually explode and will collapse by 1996. Well, that didn't happen either. You know, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 1.19, for it is written, I, this is God talking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Yeah. God hath made foolish the wisdom of this world. We find this as Paul is closing down his great epistle to the Romans. Notice what he has to say in the last verse, verse 27. He says, To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. To God only wise. What is God like? He's wise. We read in Jude one twenty-five, To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty. So let's talk about his wisdom today. 
First of all, let's take a look at what I call the Bible record. The Bible record. The Bible records that wisdom comes from God. There's no missing that. The, the ability to recognize something, that's wisdom. That's not knowledge. The uh, inclination to choose rightly, that's wisdom. That's more than knowledge. The best way to attain something and how to go about it, that's wisdom. And it's more valuable than knowledge. What truth actually is, that's wisdom. And it trumps knowledge every time. We read this in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And you're familiar with that verse. The fear of the Lord, a reverence for God, a respect for God, is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom starts with God. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 104.24. He said, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. He looked at the works of God and he said, that took wisdom. And honestly, we haven't scratched the surface when it comes to the things that we've yet to discover and the science that's yet uncovered out there. And the the psalmist said it well, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. Let's turn back to Daniel in your Old Testament and the second chapter. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel was kidnapped from Jerusalem, hauled away to Babylon. He was made an important man there and given special education and diet and everything else. They were grooming him for something. They had something special in mind. And about that time, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and it bugs him because uh, he not only knows the interpre- doesn't know the interpretation, but he doesn't even remember the dream. And so he's all perplexed. He calls in his interpreters. They couldn't figure it out. And he orders them all put to death. You just have to know Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Daniel says, wait, 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 wait a minute. Now, he's one of them. He said, you never gave me a shot at it. So he goes back to his room with his companions. They have a prayer meeting. And there in the night, God reveals not only the interpretation of the dream, but the dream itself. This is going to be amazing when he actually goes into Nebuchadnezzar and he reveals all that stuff. But before he does... In gratitude, he thanks God for showing him this. And notice what he says here in Daniel chapter 2. We pick it up in verse number 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made me made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Notice who he gives credit. The Bible records that wisdom comes from God. Now, There are some, they have wisdom, but they don't have power. Think about this. Okay, they're wise, but without any power to carry forth with it, it's it's impotent. It's, It's fruitless. But there are those, and they have power and lack wisdom. I think of Hitler here. He had power, didn't he? Mussolini had power. Stalin had power. Lenin had power. But they lacked wisdom. And boy, that's a bad combination, isn't it? But in God, they're united. God has wisdom, and He has the power to use that wisdom. They, they meet together. They're united in God. They're united in Christ, by the way. 
In fact, turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 11, as long as we're in the Old Testament here. I want to show you something, especially this time of the year, uh, about Jesus Christ. It's a prophetic reference to Christ and his incarnation and the mystery of it. Long before he visited this earth, long before God took on flesh and came down here, about 700 years before. And we read about it here in Isaiah chapter 11. And in verse number 1, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse... And a branch, capital B, shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now, if you understand your Bible, you understand this is talking about Jesus Christ in, in verse 1, who came from the tribe of Judah, who came from the lineage of, of Jesse and David, and, and a branch coming out of its roots, speaking of that whole thing going defunct for hundreds of years until Christ would come on the scene. But notice how it describes in, in verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and all these kind of things. It describes here the, the mystery of the incarnation and God coming to this earth and taking on flesh. Now, here's what I kind of scratch my head over a little bit. You get over into the New Testament and after the birth in Luke 2.40, it says the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So he's growing, he's waxing strong in spirit, but more intriguing to me is he's increasing in wisdom because a dozen verses later it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God in man. And you say, whoa, huh? Wait a minute, how could that be? How could he have to increase in wisdom when he's God in the flesh already? What was going through the mind of that baby in that manger in that stable there? Did he know all the stuff there was to know? Well, according to the Bible, apparently not. You say, well, I don't get it. Well, I don't totally get it either, but I do know Philippians 2 tells us that he, he emptied himself. That's how we put it. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of man. He became one of us. He lived life that way. He laid aside some things, and he, he exercised his divine prerogatives basically at the direction of his heavenly Father. This is a mystery to me. But we find out that by the time he was ministering, around age 30, um, I'm telling you, he tied everybody in knots with his wisdom. In Matthew 13, 54, it says that Christ taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, when's that this man, this wisdom? I I mean, he's not learned. He's not one of the scribes and the scholars and the, the doctors and the lawyers. Where did he get this wisdom? And they were amazed at his wisdom. And boy, he uh, used his wisdom quite often. They would bring to him a, a woman taken in adultery. And they would think, oh, we got him this time. His back's to the wall. He, he really only has one of two choices, and he loses either way. What's he going to decide to do with this gal? And he says, he that is without sin casts the first stone. It's like, ooh, they hadn't figured that. And they start dropping their rocks, and they start walking off, and he beat them with his wisdom. There are other times where they would come and say, well, this coin here, you know, it's got Caesar's inscription on it, and, and uh, what should we do? Should we give to Caesar or not? Again, two choices. Either one he loses, and he simply said, render to Caesar the things that be Caesar's, to God the things that be God. And they went, ooh, ooh, we hadn't anticipated that. I mean, they, they were child's play for him. They were so out of their league trying to match wits with God himself. Can you imagine that? 
All that wisdom personified. Trying to outfox God? Could you imagine that? You know, we read this in Colossians 2.3. Speaking of Christ, it says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. Not Muhammad. Not Mary. Not Buddha. Not Confucius. Not some Swami. Not any guru. It says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ. Now, we live in a world that is a mess, and I think we ought to just try and connect the dots here. You know, if we were wise, as they say, wise men still seek him, <laughs> we would seek him if we are wise for wisdom. And let's take it a step further. Let's really connect the dots. Jesus in Matthew 16 started a church, and he, he, he said it will always be around. I believe this church is one of those churches that has come down through the centuries and is a scriptural New Testament church. Now, you know what the Bible says about the church? In Ephesians 3.10, it says, Now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. I come to church to get wiser. I, I, I hope you understand that. And I do believe there's something special about a scriptural New Testament church as far as having the wisdom of God upon it. This world is a mess politically and, and economically and certainly morally. Why doesn't this world look to scriptural churches to figure it out, to get some answers, to look for wisdom? It trumps what the world has to have for wisdom, especially spiritually. You know, if I didn't know Christ as my Lord and Savior, if I had never been born again the Bible way, if I, if I didn't know for sure I was going to heaven when I died, you know where I'd go looking for some answers? I would look in a Bible-believing church. I wouldn't go to some church that didn't use the Word of God that was as dead as last year's Christmas tree, and that's pretty dead this time of the year, isn't it? I wouldn't go to some place where they weren't using the Bible I would go to a scriptural church to find out how to get to heaven. And I would find out that it's not by our good works. It's not by our baptism. It's not by uh, doing good things and, and all this stuff that the world is trusting in to take them to heaven. It's by realizing we're lost, on the road to hell, unable to save ourselves, hopeless and helpless, without putting our faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and His finished work on Calvary's cross. And I would call upon the Lord in that knowledge and and, and uh, be saved, as the Bible says. That wisdom comes from the Word of God, and it's preached here. We see, first of all, the Bible record. But secondly, when it comes to the wisdom of God, we see this basic reality. Now, the ancient prophets declare God is wise. And we read this in the Psalm. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. His understanding is is infinite. Think about this. From, from the spinning galaxies out there, and they're all over the place because the universe has no walls on them. Now, from the spinning galaxies to the tiny vibrations of the most minuscule atomic particle, God understands all that. He spoke it all into existence. The Bible says He upholds all things by the word of His power. He created you. He knows the number of the hairs of your head. Think about that. He knows every thought you think, every word you say, and he keeps track of over 7 billion people in this world all at one time, 24-7. Every movement of the bird, every movement of the fish, every movement of, of the animal, every chemical reaction from every flower and every tree on every continent. God knows all that. 
The Bible says this. In Romans eleven thirty three. it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And by the way, that exclamation point is there. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out, exclamation point. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? What a mouthful. There's a month of sermons right there. God is aware of every happening. God is aware of every injustice. God is aware of every offense. God is aware of every hurt. He's aware of every trial. God is aware of absolutely everything. In fact, you're in Isaiah here. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. It's beyond understanding. There are people who question God. Well, what is this? What is that? Well, we can't begin to scratch the surface of why God does what He does. But the basic reality is God is wise. God is wise. We read these words in Isaiah 55, and in verse number 8, God's talking. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't begin to figure out God. The basic reality is that God is wise. That's a fact. We need to believe it. So we see the Bible record when it comes to God's wisdom. We see the basic reality. Thirdly, let's talk about the best route. (laughs) The best route when it comes to wisdom. Have you ever wondered what to do in a given situation? You ever sat there musing and and pondering and, and trying to figure out, what should I do? How should I handle this? You know, I often think of that illustration where uh, Solomon had just ascended to the throne. He had just pleased God with his request for wisdom. God had given it to him. It's time to test it and see if it's really there. And so there's these two harlots. They each have a baby. In the night, one overcovers her baby and smothers it, and it dies, and she switches babies. And now there's only one baby because the other one's dead. And they bring in a live baby and a dead baby, and, and uh, they, they both claim that the live baby is theirs. Now, if it had been me, I'd have been going, oh, good night. I'm going to kind of look into their eyes, figure out who's lying, you know, whatever. Solomon doesn't do any of that. Solomon just said, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. And they bring him in a sword, and everybody's like, what is he doing? Is he, is he slipped? And, and he said, cut that live baby in half. Ah, you know, you can't do that. Well, the mother who uh, really didn't own the baby went, okay, that's even Stephen. Yeah, right down the middle. Duh, what mother would really say that? And the other mother said, no, 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 don't, don't cut the baby in half. She can have the baby. Solomon said, she's the real mother. And everybody went, whoa, walla, walla, whoo, he's got wisdom, you know. Well, I don't know about you, but there have been times that I have wondered what to do and, and really found that if we could get God's wisdom, it's the best route. We read this in the Proverbs, or in Job, Job 12 and verse 13, says, with him, that is God, is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. With Him, the Bible says, is wisdom and strength. Now, our responsibility is to tap into that wisdom. In fact, turn back to Proverbs, if you would, in the fourth chapter. Just go back from where you're at there. Proverbs chapter 4. What does the Bible here in the Proverbs have to say about wisdom? (laughs) Everything. In fact, if you read it, starting in chapter 1, it's wisdom, 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 wisdom. You know, when we used to uh, have uh, our older kids home, and I won't tell you which one it was, but uh, we'd have family devotions with them, and, and if they hadn't read their Bible, uh, we'd say, well, what did you read this morning? And uh, the, the child would say, uh, uh, Proverbs. Uh, well, what did you read about? Um, wisdom. You know, it was always a safe bet. 
liar. You didn't read this morning yet. And because uh, you just, if you go to Proverbs, you know you're going to read something about wisdom. Well, here in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 7, it says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. It doesn't say it's a good thing, it's one of the um, upper things. No, it's the principal thing. It is at the top. Therefore, get wisdom. We're told to get it. Now, how do we get it? Well, turn back a page. Proverbs 2 and verse number 6 says, For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd sure like to prevent myself from doing a bunch of dumb things and making mistakes. We're told to get wisdom. We're told how to get it. Look again at verse 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. You want to be wise? Well, you can go on Amazon.com, order all 4,329 books on the wisdom of this guy and the wisdom of that guy and the wisdom of the other guy. Or, or you can just see what God has to say, our Creator has to say, what His Word has to say, what His Spirit has to say to us who dwells within us. I don't know about you, but I am always going through something that requires a decision. And, and even right now, I, and I've been praying about it for months, that this, this thing that I'm wondering, do I do this? Do I do that? You know what the Bible has to say in the book of James? In James 1.5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. This is one area where God's a liberal, okay? Uh, but about it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally liberally, generously. Now, whose wisdom are you trusting in today? What you heard down at the seminar from, from Dr. Big Bottom or, or maybe uh, what you heard from the, the guru that you saw on TV or, or that, uh, that pop, popular writer who wrote something that, oh, this is the way. Whose wisdom are you trusting in today? There was a nuclear physicist years ago by the name of, of uh, Max Born. He was a contemporary of Einstein, no less. You know what he had to say? He said, we'd be a whole lot better off. Scientists, he said, need more, more wisdom and, and less brains, and how true that is. God help us to be wise. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, life is like a, a, a Venus flytrap. It, it's just looking to close in on you. And uh, there are landmines all over the place. There are mistakes just waiting to be made. If we don't have wisdom, we're going to be seduced and sucked into it and make that mistake. God help us. We've talked about the Bible record. We've talked about the basic reality, the best route. But finally, what's the believer's response? When it comes to the wisdom available to us, how do we respond? Do we respond in trust, in faith? Do you trust God's wisdom? All-wise, all-powerful, He loves you, He wants what's best for you, do you trust in His wisdom? The Apostle Paul had this physical infirmity of some type, this thorn in the flesh he referred to it as. Might have been an eye problem. And, and he, he prayed three times. That doesn't mean he just, Father, heal my eyes, amen. No, he had three seasons of prayer. I believe fasting with it, where he got serious And God said, no, I'm not going to heal you. 
Paul didn't pout and he didn't get bitter. He said, okay, Lord, you know better than me. I, I trust your wisdom. That's the believer's response. If we have an all-wise heavenly Father, we can trust Him. Do you trust Him? You know, I know this. There are places I haven't been. There are, there are courses in life that I haven't been down yet. But God has existed from eternity past. And He knows the beginning from the end. And He knows the course I need to take. I don't always care for it. But He knows what's best for me. You know, uh, if you were going to the Antarctic or the Amazon jungle, would you just kind of, uh, you know, drop me here and let me wander around? I'll find my way. No, you would want a, a guide of some type that's been there before who can take you through the right path. And, and you name it, God's been there. God's been through it. And He knows what's best. He's been there before. Can we trust Him? That's the $64,000 question when it comes to His wisdom. Do we trust in His wisdom? We live in a, a world that says if God knows everything and if God is all-powerful, then why is there so much suffering in this world? Boy, I hear that a lot. Why is there so much suffering? And, and there are people by the droves out there who are having a crisis of faith because they want to believe in God, but they just can't believe that there's a God who would allow this tragedy to occur on a daily basis. There is school shootings. By the way, there is a gal just died yesterday from a school shooting. There are rapes. There, there's financial woe. There is sickness. There are problems with relationships, and there is divorce, and people are being cheated, and children are being kidnapped, and we could go on and on and on. All this stuff is going on. These, these injustices that will crush us to the ground if we let them and make us wonder, is God really in control? How could God allow this? And we second-guess God. We critique God. We point fingers at God. We put God on trial. And many of us have been guilty of that, of accusing God of unfairness. But let's back up a step. Maybe we should take a look at the real problem, okay? If God were to eliminate the source of bad, well, he'd have to start with man, wouldn't he? He'd have to start with the human race, mankind, with us, because we're the problem. The hate in the world, we're the source of that. The bias in this world, we're the source of that. All that selfishness out there, we're the source of it. Pride, guess where that comes from? Us. Lust, that's our problem. Covetousness, that's our problem. Stubbornness, that's our problem. And I could stand here for an hour and I could list all kinds of things because the problem with this world is a sin problem. Plain and simple. It's a sin problem. There is war in the world because there is war in the human heart. Nations can't get along because husbands and wives can't get along. And brothers and sisters can't get along. And neighbors can't get along. And co-workers can't get along. We are the problem. There is evil in this world because there is evil in our hearts. And Christ even said that out of the heart proceedeth all this stuff. And so if God were to get rid of, of the, the bad in this world, we'd be gone, wouldn't we? Because we are the problem. The war problem is a mankind problem. The alcohol problem is a human race problem. The AIDS problem is a problem we've made. Immorality, that's our problem. Divorce, that's our problem. Every other problem is a sin problem. We dare not point fingers at God and accuse Him of it. 
In fact, it's nothing new. They were doing that back in the days of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 18.25, God's talking and he says, Ye say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Well, hear now. Is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? God's not the one on trial here. God's all wise. God knows what he's doing. We can trust him, but we live in a society of rebellion and lawlessness and people who have rejected what God says. They have rejected the Bible. A uh, celebrity this last week made a biblical statement on, on sodomy, and I'm telling you, you would have thought the atomic bomb went off. Well, the problem is we're not listening to God. God has spoken here. You know, we have a mess in this world. We really do. It, it, it's getting messier. And we would rather just blame God than repent. That's what we need to do. We need to repent. God has no obligation to rescue us from the mess we're making. And we're making a mess. We read this in Romans 9.14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. God's not in the wrong here. Mankind is in the wrong here. The problem is we have eliminated God from our society. We've kicked him out of our public schools. We've kicked prayer out of our public schools. We've kicked this book out of our public schools from our hallowed halls of higher learning. And we wonder why we have these school shootings. And we, we teach our kids they evolve from animals and then they act like it and we wonder why. We've listened to Dr. Spock instead of Solomon. We've passed out condoms instead of telling kids that is wrong. We've assisted our girls with abortions without telling even the parents. We've allowed hours of raw sewage to spill into our living rooms via the television set. We've bought the lie that elected officials can be ungodly and immoral as long as they make the economy good. Folks, we have issues. We read this in Job 9.4, Of God He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, And who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? As a nation, we have hardened ourselves against God. And we expect to prosper? It will not happen. It cannot happen. And maybe if we looked hard enough and and if we looked long enough, we would realize we are simply reaping what we have sown. You know, what's pitiful is there's so few pulpits that dare to address the real issue and the real problem. But God has given us a free will, has he not? We have the free will to decide. He doesn't force us to love Him. He doesn't force us to obey Him. He doesn't force us to follow Him. He doesn't even force us to accept Him. But I want to tell you something. Nearly a third of a century ago, I did. On March 5th, 1981. I mean, I'd done some soul searching. I'd thought about it. I'd had some of these very questions. I'm so thankful that on that Thursday night in Crookston, Minnesota, A Bible-believing preacher took this book and opened it and showed me that I could know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die, that I could have a salvation that would change my life and one that I'd never lose. And on that night, I called upon the Lord in repentance from sin and faith in Christ and asked Him to save me, and He did. I made a decision that night. Life is full of them. Life is full of choices. We need to come to conclusions because they're powerful things. They really are. And that night I I said, Lord, I'll follow you. I will trust you. You know what you're doing. And he does. And he's led me thus far 
I trust you'll lead me all the way and that I'll finish my course with joy because there is an all-wise heavenly Father at the helm. By the way, He moves in mysterious ways. I'm telling you, in the past 33 years, He has moved in very mysterious ways. But that's the way He works sometimes. Many years ago over in London, there was a man by the name of William Cooper. 32 years of age and, and finished with life. He wanted no more to do with it. He took some form of poison and, and it didn't kill him. And so he ordered a, a driver of a kind of a carriage to take him to the Thames River where he was going to jump off at a particular spot. But it was one of the foggiest nights London has ever seen. And they just drove around and drove around and they couldn't even find that bridge. They couldn't even find the Thames. And finally he said, well, just take me home and, and found out they were at home. They had gone in a circle and he was right back at his house. He goes, I won't do it tonight. So the next morning he, he fell on a knife and the blade broke and that didn't work. And then he decided to hang himself. They found him and they, they cut him down unconscious, barely alive, but still alive. Sometime shortly after that, he was reading the book of Romans, where we started today. And he read about God's wonderful plan of salvation. William Cooper called upon the name of the Lord and got saved that night. He went on to write a number of songs. There is a fountain filled with blood. You, you, you sing some of those songs because God moves in mysterious ways. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.17, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Can we trust Him? The only wise God. Some years ago, there was a missionary slain. And at his funeral, it was the funeral of Bill Wallace, a Baptist missionary slain down in, in Latin America. The pastor, M.T. Rankin, eulogized Brother Wallace. And as he closed in prayer at that funeral, he said of God, he said, we know you are too wise to make a mistake. He said, we know that you are too good to do evil. And so we trust you with this. We trust you with this. You know, it would be a good time of the year, I think, for all of us to say, if God is all-wise, and He is, then we can trust Him. Not with just the world, not with just this church, not with just your family even, but you individually. You can trust Him with your life. What is God like? He's all-wise. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.